Maybe you should embrace the fact that you have a team. See, I, I never had that. But you need them. And they need you. Or carry such a heavy burden on your own. When you have your brothers at your side, Heavy. Heavy? Would you stop calling me that? Or just numbers, 99. Just numbers. Not to me. To me, you've always had a name. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. That is true. Here I am. Daniel. How you doing? I'm doing good. We're tackling a fan favorite today. Let's do it. It's the Star Wars equivalent of an origin story. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at some clone origins. Sounds good. You got any favorite origin stories, movies, books? I mean, yes. So much to the point that my brain is actually jumbling up trying to think of... Oh, there's. Oh, hang on. There's also... Many. To keep it in-universe, I know this is not popular. I actually really love Solo. Ooh. I really enjoy movies with about friendship. Mm-hmm. And and obviously that's Han and and Chewie, but but I also love westerns, and and that is a train heist western at its core. Yeah, yeah. To keep it in the Star Wars universe, Solo is the first thing that that jumps to mind. Bang! I'm rewatching all of these Marvel films mm. recently, and they have done a lot of villain stories. Like I think Infinity War is Thanos's movie. Um, I think Black Panther is Eric. Killmonger's movie. Oh, totally. And X-Men Universe, I think First Class is Magneto's movie. And these those those three, I I'm really attracted to those three movies as a I suppose Infinity War really isn't an origin, but I really like that storyline of the character who is fighting for their people and really tempted to get violent. Yeah. Especially with Killmonger and Magneto. That's where those that's where those guys go. Yeah. I, you know, in terms of origin stories, I also really like the origin story we see in the third installment of, of Indiana Jones, mm. uh, the flashback in The Last Crusade, Yes, where you see young Indiana Jones and the person who kind of it gives him the hat and influences the way he dresses and kind of behaves. You lost today, kid. Does this mean you have to like it? Everything that that guy needs to become Indiana Jones is in front of him. You see young Henry as this sort of impulsive kid with a very in-tune sense of right and wrong, and this shouldn't be this way that he carries with him as, as an adult. And I think that that's a pretty—you figure out why he's afraid of snakes, where the scar comes from, the weird relationship with his dad. Yeah. It's not really an origin story, but it's they do a lot in, what, 20 minutes? That's a what could have been for me. I was such a River Phoenix fan. Oh yeah, that dude had such amazing acting potential. And like, can you imagine if if we had a Indiana Jones trilogy with River Phoenix doing some of those early years, doing other Indiana Jones uh, adventures? Ah. You know they would be doing it. They would be making a ton of money, and it would be a lot of fun. Speaking of which, there is important background we're going to need to understand to uh, get into the Clone Wars here. 
We see so much of the world building taking place in this show. Apparently, there are clones in this Clone War. That's why they call it that. We we apparently need to know about these clones <laughs> and their origin. And having seen them fight beside Jedi in the first uh, six episodes, they appear to be common foot soldiers. And I like putting the origin story here. We, we need an origin story because of how much the details of being a clone mean in this universe. And it gives us a real emotional anchor for all the things to come. It's not just Order 66, but it's the Brotherhood. It's the self-sacrifice. It's there are desertions. There are deaths. There are identity issues. Yeah. They get played out all over the place with these characters. And the clones are just a rich part of the storytelling history and fabric of Star Wars. I agree. Well, this episode is going to give us that backstory. Attack of the Clones, the movie, is going to paint the clone creation with those dazzling visuals and exposition. But I much prefer this episode showing us how the clones are created to what we see in episode two. Because, as you will know, common mantra of great writing is show, don't tell. And this shows us. In this arc, we see who the clones are, where they come from, and what motivates them. It also feels to me like watching Attack of the Clones versus watching this show and specifically this episode feels like the difference between it's the knowing how your food is prepared. You you watch somebody prepare like a really well thought out meal where it's like, wow, you can taste all the specific things and pick out these specific little details, all of which go into making this rich meal as opposed to just sort of buying something processed and, and the, the process that we see in Attack of the Clones feels very much like factory assembly line, not terribly interesting. I don't even really care. Whereas this show, you're not only seeing, quote, things be produced, you're seeing the development of characters and, and humans that you come to invest greatly in. Yeah, that's well put. Well put. This episode... Is, uh, is actually directed by Dave Filoni. And though this episode was released during season three, chronologically, it is the third episode of the whole series. We're putting it, obviously, a little bit later in the binge. But according to the fine folks at StarWars.com, this is a very early chronologically. Well, it wouldn't be Star Wars without sort of a jacked-up counting system. So I'm glad to know at least some things remain the same. We're contributing to that. <laughs> Lots of early clone action and self-understanding here. What they decided to do is they released this arc across three seasons. We're going to look at this arc that focuses on the Domino Squad. These are five clones, and we're going to see their origin story here. This was originally the first episode released in season three called Clone Cadets. And of all things, Rookies, which we're going to tackle in two episodes, was released in season one. And they kind of bounced all around. One of the things I think the show creators wanted to do was to actually spread them out over time because these clones that we're going to look at in the Domino Squad actually end up having growth occurring. And here we're seeing early years and we're going to see some, some middle years in the, you know, in the episodes to come. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to spread, spread out these, these episodes. Some of my favorite one-offs, there's a couple of times where they're not doing arcs in the Clone Wars. They're just showing like little episodes. And we're going to sneak my, some of my favorites in, in between. So that, that creates a little bit of a sense of time for the binge. Perfect. That's my intro. You want to get into this? Let's do it. Proverb is brothers in arms are brothers for life. 
It's a good one. This is a good one. In every in every one of these episodes, the proverbs have been the first thing that jumps out to me and the first thing that as I take notes through the episode that I always stop and write down. I love the notion that any time a group of people bands together for something, be it combat, be it you know, I've I've done a lot of plays when when whenever a big group of people is forced to band together like this, it it does become beyond what you're the the task you're attempting to achieve. There becomes a sort of brotherhood and bond that gets fused that will pick back up any time you re revisit interacting with those people. There's a shorthand and a language that that only exists in the realm of brotherhood or siblinghood. Yeah, something about shared battles. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of, like. Folks who are on successful sports teams in high school will still be able to go back and, you know, relive those those years. We did this together. We battled together. Yeah. It's not just the actual playing that particular game or even putting on that evening's play. It's it's much more beyond that because you do four to six months of rehearsals for a play. You know, you have multiple practices, I'm guessing. Yeah. And and, and that's it, right? I mean, it, th- those are the shared experience. That's where you learn about each other and yourself yeah. before even you get to doing the big thing, which I think this episode this episode is a perfect example of that. I was in a funk band in uh, my later college years. We p- played 100 shows one year, uh, traveled around, and it's that we all slept on the same carpet floor and ate the same <laughs> bad food. <laughs> we would go into Village Inn, buy two meals, and then just wait for other people around us to pick up, and then we would go grab their leftovers like in order in order to get through <laughs> when you're when you're in a band with seven other people. Oh my gosh. You don't get paid very much. No. It's like we got to get gas, we got to find somewhere to stay and man, there's got to be calories around here somewhere. <laughs> that's the best that's one of the best stories I've ever heard. <laughs> Always looking forward to playing bar gigs, you know. It's like, "Oh, good. Okay, we're we're going to get some beer calories. Right. This this going to carry us through." Get one of those real dark beers that's like eating a loaf of bread and get us through <laughs> the next the is. next couple of miles. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> The announcer has something to say. Clone troopers unite as war rages across the galaxy. The Republic's clone army strives for victory against the evil forces of the Separatists. Bravery, valor, unity. The lifeblood of victory on the battlefield and in space. More than any other intro, this one feels like a... Navy commercial. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting back watching football and they're they're recruiting. We mentioned the Marvel universe. It feels very Captain America where you see all these yeah. reels trying to get people to enlist and why they should and why it matters. It feels very World War II. Then there's going to be some exposition, which is actually important. The narrator says, It all begins on the planet Camino, where Jedi General Shock T oversees the training of clones with the help of contracted bounty hunters. Bred to be perfect soldiers, these cadets must first be subjected to intense physical and mental training before heading off to war. We see Republican Separatist ships. We see Anakin fighting alongside a squad of clones. We see these new characters, Shakti, who is apparently a Jedi general, and contracted bounty hunters. And we see a new location for the binge, which is Kamino. Lots of stuff to introduce in this episode that's going to carry with us throughout Star Wars. And so quickly, too. Yeah. You get served a lot 
in in the in the first twenty seconds of this. The line that hits me over and over again is "bred to be perfect soldiers," because mm-hmm. that's going to introduce a trope. Because there are all sorts of great characters uh, in nerd culture that are the character who was bred to be a perfect soldier. Yeah. Um, you got any favorite perfect soldier movies, tropes, images that come to mind? I don't know if I can say favorite because it's not actually one of my favorite genres of film personally, but I can certainly think of lots of them. I mean, because you've got, going back to the 60s, you have your television shows like The Six Million Dollar Man, you know, a, a guy who has been sort of taken apart and re-engineered and built to be better, stronger, faster than ever before. Yep. You've got, in that similar way of thinking, I guess, what, RoboCop? Love RoboCop for on this front. Yeah. But also even to to keep going back to the the Marvel universe because I think they do this type of stuff beautifully, uh, Captain America, yep, uh, the Winter Soldier, all over the MCU, yeah, Weapon X with Wolverine and Deadpool yep. and Sabretooth and X twenty three I guess would even be another one. It just thing that hit me looking at the list is it's it's not just the soldiers because the clones as we'll see are very admirable characters for the most part in Star Wars. Oftentimes, it's those who are creating them that are also real interesting. Mm-hmm. Are the people creating Weapon X good people? You know, was his name Stryker? Stryker's not a good dude. Oh, God, not at all. It's very seldom the case that the people who are actually creating perfect soldiers are actually good themselves. But the soldiers can often be some of the best people in the universe. So Captain America obviously is one of the most morally upright of the perfect soldier characters, but it's worth asking, you know, I and he obviously goes down these roads. Who created me? Why was I created? What is the reasoning behind the abilities I have and what I was empowered to do? And I think it also looks at the idea of sometimes you can be doing the wrong thing when you're trying to do the right thing. And I, th- I think that's all over Captain America, and it's also all over the Clone Wars. You know, it's people trying to do the right thing, creating these super soldiers, thinking about how they'll win in the short term, not thinking about what this looks like in the big term. I would argue Peggy Carter is a good person. Bruce Banner's a good person. Bruce Banner's a good guy, yeah. And ends up, even out of his idealism, you know, backfires, quote-unquote backfires. <laughs> uh, no, it literally backfires. <laughs> <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't quite what he was shooting for? I don't think so. What uh, I'm forgetting the character's name, the, the doctor in Captain America that Stanley Tucci plays. Yeah. Dr. Abraham... It's like Ernst. Excuse me? Or it's, it's a German name. Is it Ernst Ers- Ersk? Dr. Abraham Erskine. I represent the Strategic Scientific Reserve. You get the vibe that, in sort of an Einstein type of way, he is a good guy. He's a good man, and he wants to do good, and then yes. he suddenly realizes the thing he creates is being used in a way that could potentially be harmful. Yeah. Manhattan Project all over that character in terms of these oh, yeah. these German scientists who are now in America and fighting for the allied forces through through the sciences. Interesting. I mean, Bruce Banner and Ernst on one side, you have Norman Osborn on the other who is also going down the super soldier road and it backfires and he becomes Green Goblin. It feels like the heart behind why these people are doing these things comes out in how they react to these things backfiring. You know, Bruce Banner, yes, he does become the Hulk, which is sort of an untamed thing, but the heart behind Bruce Banner is still that of a 
scientist and of a good person who wants to help people whereas with someone like norman osborne the motive is money and self-promotion and Mm -hmm. it's almost as if the corruption of that fully corrupts and then you know you the super soldier you become is the green goblin or it's captain america yeah the brotherhood that we see in the clones I think is almost unique the with the super soldier image. I don't see like a brotherhood necessarily between Banner and Captain America. No. I, I think there might be a brotherhood with the Weapon X characters. There's at least there's a father daughter thing going on with Logan and X twenty three. Like a mentor thing. Yeah. The the only other one I can think of is a Star Trek image and it's Khan and all of his crew. Mm. So you have the 70 genetically enhanced beings who are discovered. And I, I've, I've never seen the actual uh, TV show of Khan. I've watched Wrath of Khan a yeah. hundred times. Same, actually. They clearly have been marooned on a planet. They're genetically enhanced, and then they are now battling together, and they have camaraderie. And he says something to the extent of... <laughs> These people had sworn to live and die at my command 200 years before you were born. There's some, there's some tight-knit super soldiers going on there. You really get to see that in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek with the Benedict Cumberbatch take on Khan. It, yeah. it feels like a very uh, fresh-out-of-the-package Khan. You, know, you, you really yes. see him as a superhuman super soldier. There's less of even the... the the sort of charm and humanity Ricardo Maltabon brings to the brings to the character years later. It's it's mu- you you see him much more as sort of a precision instrument. Yeah, which is interesting. Would you consider the Borg genetically enhanced super soldiers, or is that kind of its own thing? Ooh, that does feel like its own thing, but I like that as an image. That's a real interesting character. Yeah, just how the Borg works. Because even like even when you think about when they try to take over Captain Picard, right? I mean, it's all the yeah. things of Captain Picard just enhanced with the yeah. Borg features or even a character like Seven of Nine in um, yeah in Star Trek Voyager. I mean, she's arguably an enhanced... No, not arguably. She is. She is an enhanced soldier. There's something about the, for lack of a better term, it's the fascist dictator side of those who are creating the super soldier that comes in frequently here. So, you know, Saruman is this character... He's creating the Urukai, who are also essentially super soldiers in the Tolkien universe, and unleashing them. Not only put everything under his control, but make everything uniform. And so maybe that's what the Borg is. It's not just mm. that I'm going to dominate, but I'm going to make everything the same. Totally. And that's the goal, I assume. Of I mean, that's a Hitlerian kind of vision there, right? Yeah, that's fascism. You're taking something that's very natural and perverting it. The Lord of the Rings imagery really makes me think of that, where where you see like it's it's something happening in a very unnatural way. It's birth, but in in sort of this gross, not right, yeah. hidden underground type of a thing, where you're you're sort of perverting or, or subverting nature to do your own thing, and that's as science fiction likes to show us. That seems to never work well. One of the great discoveries, I suppose, of the 20th century is that you shouldn't trust the autocratic dictator trying to make. <laughs> Everything the same. It just keeps coming up in the in our stories over and over again, <laughs> and in our history, and in our history. <laughs> well, the birthing of the clones, as we'll see in this episode, 
is similar but different from the Orakai. It's not dark and gross and under the earth. It, everybody's born in the Apple Store is what it looks like. It's a very clean. Sterile. Yeah, environment that is well lit. And a lot of, we'll talk about this frequently, but there's a, a lot of Cloud City that we see at, in Camino in terms of its shape. And it's this is a very pristine feeling environment, but just like Cloud City, it's because the Emperor is in control here, or at least Palpatine's influence is all over. Totally. Totally. Well, the opening scene has that battle arena, which it's grid-like. We see five soldiers. I love this this environment. Oh, yeah. It immediately made me think of two things. It made me think of the original Tron, yes. just with the grids, the you know, the very kind of... Uh-huh. But, but more specifically, and to me more interestingly, it made me... Th- Think of X-Men. Maybe think of the Danger Room. My first experience with X-Men was a cartoon showing the Danger Room, and it blew my mind. Well, and they always they always do that really cool, especially if they lose. You know, there's a, there's the sentinel head on the ground, and you're like, oh, no, because here comes another one's foot. But then slowly it all disintegrates. Yes. And the camera usually pans from... You see the head and the character, and it pans around to suddenly the sterile room, and there's Professor Xavier. And you're like, oh, this was all not real? It's a a brilliant storytelling tool because you can test people in combat, and there's apparently stakes, but those stakes can also be wiped away. And you can showcase character prior to the actual big battles that are coming up. When it actually matters. It's it's back to the football practice or the play rehearsal thing that we talked about. Like yes. You're running the plays, you're performing the play before it's in front of an audience, before you have a crowd, before points need to be scored, and before it matters, because that's how you learn how to do it and the right way to do it. And and it'll, yep. it'll save loss, money, and embarrassment, and in the case of war, <laughs> lives. Yeah, yeah. Lots of that going on here. There's the slamming together of high school football practice and boot camp. Mm -hmm. And you put those together and put it in a galaxy far, far away. That's where we're at. Yeah, this is like if John Hughes wrote a war movie. (laughs) I'd pay to see that. Absolutely, I would. (laughs) John Candy and Steve Martin would be the the bounty hunters training them. It would be amazing. How did nobody put John Candy and Steve Martin as football coaches in a movie? Uh, like opposing coaches? Yeah. That writes itself right there. I would watch that so much. <laughs> I don't even care about sports, but I would watch that. Well, we see this battle arena, and they're playing capture a uh, capture the flag style exercise, and we hear uh, the sound of the squad communicating as they're moving forward and one of them who will be called cut up then we hear this announcement being said over them that kind of tells us all we need to know this is command you must break through enemy lines and take the top one of the clones said Comnic, we just relayed orders from we all heard the orders echo stop calling me that stop repeating every order less yapping more blasted so high school you're establishing this is how things should go on our football team by mockery. Yeah, and you're and you're showing who is in charge and who is not. You know, if I give you sort of a demeaning nickname, yeah. clearly in the pecking order of things, well, I must be better than you because I've just nicknamed you something offensive and degrading, like you know, puddles or something. You know, it's exactly right. That 
the naming of the clones throughout this episode matters. We'll see it a handful of times, and yeah. these clones are naming other clones in this scene, and it does give them a measure of authority. And we'll see who names other clones. Some of the leaders get named by people who are not clones. And it's in, it's interesting to see some people react to it differently. Some people, you know, Echo is obviously kind of rejecting that yeah. nickname, whereas a little further in the episode, you see people really leaning into and embracing the the nickname as an identity. Identity is all over this episode and it's important here because we're watching as new viewers and all five of these guys look identical the only thing that's different is the numbers on their uniforms and one of them has a, a larger gun and that's it and one of them has an australian accent <laughs> but for echo echoes the this is the first nickname obviously we've seen the clones in battle before but here is the naming of a clone He's getting some um, identity. I hadn't thought about this, but one of the last scenes that we see, we started the binge at the end of the Clone Wars. And the uniformity of the clones in that Mandalorian episode is a big deal. They all paint their armor orange to match the markings of Ahsoka. And when they're buried, all of their helmets look very similar. Mm. And I wonder if there's something... There, it's like we all came into the world very similar. We we discovered ourselves, and at the end, there's there's very much a finding a shared identity. I mean, it's a, a, very much a shared identity in death. I'm gonna have to think on that. Broke these chrome domes and move on to the Citadel. CG782, your breaking formation. Just follow my lead, will ya? And then there's this explosion, and a brave soldier pushes uh, his brother out of the way. Thanks, CT 275555. That was close. Looks very heroic. The name is Fives. The brave soldier is more like, you're an idiot, putting yourself in danger, and I had to save you, you punk. And, and not only that, he's getting his name wrong. This, this clone is perhaps naming himself. He says, it's Fives. My name is Fives. And we've seen fives in the opening of our bench. And we know that this character is going to become apparently quite important. And so if we're watching through the binge, then this should be one of those places where we're like, oh, we know that this is one of the characters that uh, was important to essentially the detective story that we see there at the beginning. Yeah. And it's interesting to see him push into identity and push away from being one of the clones. Mm -hmm. In in a positive way. It's not being visited upon him. He is choosing to say, no, 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 I'm something different. This is what yeah. I'm called. They ended up cloning a person who really wants to discover who, who he is and be separate and set apart and unique. And and, and then they, they hit repeat. And then it just... And all of these characters are, gonna, are going to find their purpose in... Really different and unique pursuits. It's a good image. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, back to the floor. CT4040, who will be known as Cut Up later, says, Yeah, five pieces if you don't keep your head down. Hey, class clown. Hilarious. Echo says, How about we follow orders? This is our last practice test. Will you shut up with instructions? You're not in charge. All the clones, again, look the same. Same voice, very 
similar builds, very different personalities. Fun fact with, with them, and this is throughout Star Wars language, they keep calling each other CT, and CT stands for Clone Trooper. Mm-hmm. We see those same sorts of acronyms elsewhere. So, for example, in New Hope, it's all TK. TK421, wire two at your post. TK there stands for Trooper Corps. You're part of a Trooper Corps, and this is your number in the Trooper Corps. Mm-hmm. And here, they've just, they're doing the same thing. We see this with Finn. Finn is... FN... 128. Hey, what's your name? FN21870. F... What? That's the only name they ever gave me. Well, I ain't using it. FN, huh? Finn, I'm gonna call you Finn, is that all right? Finn. Yeah. Finn, I like that. I like that. Identity coming out of these numbers. Otherwise, you're just... This goes back to the fascist element, I suppose. We want you all to be the same. With Finn and Poe, mm-hmm. it does feel like the older brother gives you a nickname. The older archaeologist guy puts the hat onto Indiana Jones and gives him an identity. This is the older brother, the cooler yeah. guy, saying, this is who you are. That's something yeah. different from what you've been told and sort of sort yeah. of helps in the creation of an identity. And by the way, keep my jacket. Yeah. There it is. We move above the floor. There are three figures there watching who were introduced in the intro as Shakti, the general in charge, and two bounty hunters who we will come to know as Brick and Ellis. Shakti says, This particular unit seems to have some trouble. What do you recommend? Brick says, Well, I'm no Jedi, so forgive my bluntness. But I say they fail. Send them down to maintenance duty with 99 and the other rejects. Ellis, you can't fail them yet. Remember, this is only a practice test. And besides, the Citadel course was constructed to be a difficult challenge. One of them is very much a teacher. We designed this to be difficult, and they're having difficulty with it, which is the point, because that's how this exercise works. And then there's the teacher that's like, I knew this was going to be too hard. They failed. Screw them. No, that's, this is supposed to be hard. You have to, it, it's called work for a reason. You have to work at it. There, there's two very different styles of, of instructing. I like the image here of the rejects. Like, there's actually stakes in this episode because you might get rejected. Yeah, and Ooh, there's yeah. there's a high school image. You might, you, know. you might not be cool, but apparently there is a different path for some that's not frontline. Yeah, fighting, which I imagine a lot of these clones will see this over and again that they deeply desire. Shakti says, although I don't agree with his sentiment, Brick isn't wrong. These cadets are far from ready. Back to the floor, one of the clones says, I can't hit anything from here! No! We have to follow orders! The one they call Echo never adapts to the situation. The leader, with the number one on his side, is shot in the back, and Ellis says, CT-782 seems to follow his own path. He can't do it all alone. Two clones are talking to you each go. other. I'll cover you. I'm a better shot. You go. No, you go. Look at those two. Argue on the battlefield, you end up dead. Uh, and the last one. Who will affectionately be called Droid Bait later on by his brothers. It's a tough nickname. <laughs> so, can't adapt. Doing it all on your own. Arguing on the battlefield. Quick to give up. (laughs) There's three primary issues here for this squad, and it's the clear path of growth for for the episode. It's a great little structure. Totally. 
and the the expectations are there and and we're going to see how how these characters who are just being introduced to handle this so real similar to landing a point rain which also directed by feloni i think where it's like here are the three things that are going to go wrong and all of them are overcome in the end i like that as a structure yeah absolutely if these cadets can't get past their short-sighted selfishness they will never come together unity wins war gentlemen computer and exercise for domino squad 99 would you please send a cleaning crew to the training ground? 99 comes in. Yes, mistress. We'll take care of the mess. You should tell that 99 to drag away the mess called Domino Squad. Look how cool that guy is. <laughs> I hate to skip over the intro to one of Daniel and I's favorite characters that is introduced for the first time here, but I want to talk about bounty hunters first. Yes. I went down the rabbit hole with bounty hunters. As you'll know, bounty hunting is a complicated profession. I've always said that. Bounty hunters in the Star Wars universe are all over the place. If you look up bounty hunter on Wikipedia for fictional characters... <laughs> Most of them are Star Wars characters. It's, it's just a big, long list of Star Wars characters. Right. And then a lot of people played by Clint Eastwood. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of the two. Yeah. Before we just jump into this, like, what comes to your mind when thinking about bounty hunters uh, in this universe? What comes to mind? I feel like Star Wars introduced us to the idea of bounty hunters through Boba Fett, right? Like he's this sort of badass, larger-than-life character. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like you're really seeing bounty hunting, for what I feel like it might more be like at moments, you're essentially an independent contractor who just needs to find work. Yeah. Like it is yeah, it, it is under the table. It is illegal. There is just There is just very much of it like we are for hire. What would you like us to yeah. do? Is it go kidnap somebody and freeze them in carbonite? Is it teach all these clones how to run the track and field course? Because we will do it. Bounty comes from the Latin for goodness. It's a goodness hunter. Money. Money hunter. When looking at the origin of words, you go to the OED, uh, Oxford English Dictionary. The very first use of bounty hunter in the English language is from the papers of the governor of Pennsylvania. And notice what it says. It says... It's in a, a directive. He says, I do promise that there shall be paid the following several and respective premiums and bounties for the prisoners and scalps of the enemy Indians that shall be taken or killed. This is from 1764. Wow. In the English language, the use of bounty hunting is tied to very violent activity. Yeah. The idea of there are some people who fight for the state and the order in the state, mm-hmm. law enforcement, cops, soldiers. There may be those who fight for goodness itself, and that's the image of the knight. But the bounty hunter is responsible not for upholding laws. The bounty hunter is upholding the desires of the client. And the, and the furthering of oneself. I mean, it's very much a self it's very much a self-preservation job. You you only yeah. yeah yes you're serving other people, but the only person who is benefiting from that, the only person getting the bounty or getting the goodness to use that word, is yourself. You're the sole yeah. benefactor of that goodness. It, whereas if you were a member of law enforcement, you would be sharing that amongst other people. And yeah, it it seems like a very uh, seems like a very lonely, isolated <laughs> lifestyle. Kind of a scavenger yeah. image there, yeah? It's not an assassin. Like, assassins kill for money. The bounty hunter brings people in for money. It brings people in, but it also f- 
you know, feels like could go find objects and things. Any any famous bounty hunters, fictional bounty hunters that come to mind? I really like Christoph Waltz as Dr. King Schultz in Django mm-hmm. Unchained. I think he is oh. a great bounty hunter character. He is going and collecting bounties on people, but there seems to be a class and a sophistication and a and a and just a basic humanity is maybe a stretch because he's you know he shot a horse in the head but also (laughs) he just seems like he's not quite just a monster wild west yeah there's something about the wild west that has these characters i feel like rooster cogburn even though he's a u.s marshal there is a bounty hunter-esque quality to the character Mm. of rooster because he's gone out to find somebody for money Uh, the 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 young woman whose name i'm forgetting comes and says i would like to find these people Mm -hmm. come with me Django freeman's a bounty hunter yeah becomes a bounty hunter the other one i thought of uh, in terms of fictional bounty hunters that I really liked was the character of Dr. King Schultz, dentist turned bounty hunter from Django Unchained. It's super compelling story too with him. The idea that he was a, he's a, he's a dentist, he's a doctor, he's a man of science, but then after his brother is murdered, he, he seeks to avenge the murder of his brother and in, in going into that life as the song, his name was King, uh, which is which is worth listening to. I listened to it this afternoon in, in preparation for this. Uh, gets steered into this life of, of uh, mercenariness, if that's a word. I assume that's where they get the name Din Djarin for the Mandalorian is, is a, a play on Django, yeah? I have never read anything to specifically confirm that, but I would have a really hard time believing that's not what that is. There's a lot of the man with no name going on in that character as well of... Going into the town, the town has some problem. You're on the lookout for somebody else, but you're going to help. It's a very Western motif. Right. A couple of the bounty hunters that pop up on Wikipedia, it's obvious once I say them, is, for example, is Rick Deckard in uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. I'm a huge Midnight Run fan. I don't know if you liked Midnight Run with Robert De Niro, but his p- character is named Jack Walsh. Yeah. And uh, all he wants to do is get out of this business, start his coffee shop, He's just got to do this one last job. Is that is that him and that's him and Charles Grodin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, that's that. Yeah, it's excellent. And of course, the obvious one that we are missing here is Dale Gribble from King of the Hill. All right, Twister, it's just you and me now. <laughs> Ten years ago, you took my shit. Did you think I'd forget that? Come on, bring it on. <laughs> Comedies, bounty hunting in comedies. Uh, what's his name? Leonard Smalls from uh, Raising Arizona. Yeah, that's true. The lone biker of the apocalypse. <laughs> it's a good Coen Brothers line. <laughs> My favorite Western is Unforgiven, mm. and it's a story of, it's a Clint Eastwood movie. He obviously he won Best Picture, and his character, William Money, is a former terrible person i don't know if he was a bounty hunter beforehand former terrible person he was a former terrible person he found uh, a woman who loved him and changed his life and then she died and then he was broke and he was a pig farmer and he gets a young man rides up and says i got a bounty for you 
and it's this old cowboy going out to get a bounty. That's a fantastic movie. Oh, yeah. Just love it's it. nice that his name is William Money, too. For somebody who becomes right. a, it might as well, it's a little heavy handed. Like, you might as well have called yourself William Bounty. Why so many prominent bounty hunters? I mean, we, we mentioned this earlier, but half of the bounty hunters on Wikipedia are from Star Wars. Why so many prominent bounty hunters in this universe? To me, I think it represents the brokenness and lawlessness mm. of the universe. Like there, yeah. there are so many pockets of this universe where it's outside of the Republic, it's outside of the Empire, and whatever you can figure out to to get what you need, and whether that is requesting a bounty, be be taken, or or answering the request for bounty. It's just, you just got to take care of yourself. Yeah. Bounty hunting itself, for me, colors the universe. The first bounty hunter that we see in Star Wars is actually Greedo in a bar of scum and villainy. And apparently, one of the characters is presently being hunted because he owes money to a gangster. Yep. The introduction of Han Solo as a hunted man. There's motive. There is uh, energy. But it also tells you what you need to know about that world. Yes. Everybody's a little shady. Mm. The lawlessness. It's only recently that there's really any law in Star Wars. Yep. But in The Mandalorian, we see a lot of characters that are taking up the sheriff mantle and exercising justice. This has never been part of this universe. It's always who's the most powerful and how is that power exercised? Absolutely. Absolutely. We create clone armies, we hire bounty hunters, we learn the ways of the force. I mean, that's pretty much it. Yep. The best, I mean, I think the best parallel to law enforcement is something like the Jedi, but the Jedi aren't even necessarily going with law. They are what they're trying to establish peace. And doing it sort of distantly, mm-hmm. sort, of, uh, sort of in a, doing it in sort of an unattached, distant way. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that makes The Mandalorian so interesting is Din Djarin has a code. He's a bounty hunter, but he's a very religious man. Yeah. There is the lawlessness that comes in the world that he's part of, but then there's the other side that he has dedicated himself as an, as somebody raised in an orphanage to believe a certain set of values and to live them out. It makes for a fantastic character there. Well, because it almost feels like in that type of a lawless world, you would have to establish your own code of ethics. Here's what I will do. Here's what I won't do. These are the things that govern myself. There's not a whole mm-hmm. lot of governance or, or or leading going on. So you would, I just feel like you would have to create that for yourself. Because bounty hunters apparently have a bad reputation. We see this in Empire where they're on the brig of Vader's ship and one of the Imperial officers says, Bounty hunters, we don't need that scum. You know, it's, it's, you were, you were scraping the bottom in order to exert your will here, Vader. But Vader knows because he's a poor kid from, he's a poor kid from Tatooine and has been Ooh. in that uh, wretched hive of scum and villainy that is most Eisley. So I think even Vader knows you want to get something done and you want to get it done quickly and covertly. Mm-hmm. You should have bounty hunters do it, which could even be the argument for why bounty hunters are teaching the clones. Mm. If this is something we're not supposed to know about, if this is something that's supposed to be under the radar, mm-hmm. 
you're maybe going to start by having the people who are who are sort of leading it and teaching it be people who aren't going to brag around like, hey, my job is doing this. You want people who are just going to get in, do the job, and, and keep their mouth shut. Motive is going to matter with a lot of these characters. Bounty hunters are clearly going for the bounty for the dollar. The Imperial officers aren't going for the dollar. They're jumping into the corporate structure and trying to get positions. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. the motive. We're going to see other characters come in later in Rebels, which are called Inquisitors, which are Jedi hunters. And their motive will be real interesting to, to unpack. Like, why is it that you are doing what you're doing? Because they're not going for bounties. They're, they are similar to Vader. Vader doesn't care about position, I don't think. I don't think he cares about money. He is, well, Vader's an enslaved man. Right. Controlled by fear. There's a, a lot of that. Like, how do, you, how do you spell out the motive of your characters matters? But right in the very name itself, bounty hunting, this is your motive. And that's and clearly we're going to see that in some of the dialogue here. Last word on bounty hunters? They make for really bad mentors, role models, and teachers. <laughs> you should not make them your wide receiver coach. Probably not. Cut back to the floor. Uh, Echo says, We almost had it this time. Oh, yeah. And we all look nothing alike either. Sorry about the mess, 99. Well, it's okay, boys. Nice try. I would like to know where these clones kind of learn to be smart asses, because I feel like <laughs> okay. they're around other clones and Jedi who aren't really smart asses, but but yet these this group is like boom 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 just firing off kind of kind of snarky one liners all the time, and I love it, but it's just like where'd they learn this? It's a nature nurture discussion right clearly yeah. nature <laughs> is, is asserting itself exactly <laughs> teams coming off the field there's the locker room so i says to her baby you and me could really you never even met a girl they got some good jokes in this episode. they do yeah I like the, and it, it's like john hughes wrote a star wars episode 99 is looking at heavy he says you know you shouldn't worry because most clones pass. And that big leadership clone says... Yeah, but not all of us. Right, shorty? Just this condescending attitude towards 99. You want to talk about 99? I would be happy to. Fan favorite here. Mm -hmm. Gets all of seven minutes of screen time, I bet. It is easily a top 20 Star Wars character for me. Same. Gentle, older looking. Apparently he's a leader. He is the le He's leading the clean crew of this enormous facility and a lot of the banter that initially comes his way feels a whole lot like what's coming out of luke skywalker's heart at, when he first encounters yoda yeah you're not that important yeah you're here for utility it's easy to dismiss the janitor got nothing to show me got nothing to teach me you are only here to sweep up the floor apparently you're only here to lead me to the person who is most important in my journey this great warrior yeah and lo and behold, the person in front of you is actually the one who has so much to teach everyone. L love these sorts of characters. It's that wise old man, Jungian archetype. Mm -hmm. Again, a rabbit hole here. But I was going through one wiki site that unpacks Jungian imagery. And they said this about the wise old man. The wise old man is foreign from a different culture, nation, or even a different time. In extreme cases, he may be a liminal being, such as Merlin, who was half-human. In medieval chivalric romance and modern fantasy, the wise old man is often presented as a wizard, one with supernatural abilities. 
One can also be featured as a hermit like Yoda. The character type explains to the knights or heroes the significance of their quest, and eventually the wise old man is killed or in some way removed in order to allow the hero to grow on their own. Two big things pop for me there, which I would love your comments on. 99 is different physically. He's I can't think of any other clone who is physically different. Agreed. They are physically showing that 99 is special. Yeah. No, I I really like that definition. I think that's spot on for obviously Yoda. I think it's spot on for 99. The the notion that that character has to be removed for the characters to go on and realize the things I, I never thought about that being a necessary thing. And the first yeah. thing it made me think of was Rocky. The the the, yeah. the character of Mick is is a uh-huh. tiny old man who you think this guy is going to teach this dude, this giant dude how to box by chasing around mm-hmm. chickens. And he does it. <laughs> and then in when he dies in in, in Rocky 3, that's a huge moment. Mm-hmm. That's a huge learning moment. Yeah, it's exactly right. My favorite of these, it's a it's a stretch in some ways, but it's um I don't know if we've talked about Hannibal Lecter on this front, but Hannibal Lecter is the wise old man in the Silence of the Lambs. And he is leading Clarice towards finding the killer. Clarice is the knight. Yep. And she is seeking to slay the dragon, as it were, or uh, kill the minotaur in his maze. And Lecter is removed from the story halfway through. He escapes from prison and then is gone. Yep. But that's when she has to step up. Does she have what it takes to find the killer without Lecter's guidance? Isn't that a good one? And obviously it happens in New Hope with Kenobi dying and then Luke has to figure out if he has what it takes. And then and Jedi too with Yoda dying, then it becomes, mm-hmm. you know, now there's really nobody to help him. He's got to do it. Yep. I do love the image of the character who directs the knight forward. So obviously Obi-Wan has that that quality. Yoda has that quality. What Filoni says in mixture with that. I really wanted you to connect with the character of 99. I wanted you to feel how much he wanted so badly to be just like everybody else. 99, you can't. I'm a soldier like you. When really his greatest asset was that because he wasn't like these soldiers, he could see things more clearly than the clones of the Domino Squad. While 99 would have had physical limitations that we aren't familiar with in the other clones, he does not have any mental limitations, quite the contrary. It's almost like 99 had the ability to look at the Domino Squad and see who they really are. And see who they really are. Hmm. Identity. Who are you? It's all over this episode. That's good. That's real good. And 99 might name one of these clones. And the ability to elevate the the singularity, the uniqueness, especially for somebody like 99 who will have seen thousands of clones come through. For him to have the ability to say, here's what makes you special, kid. That's powerful. Powerful image. Uh, powerful character. And done through a character that just... just the character design and animation on this character he's got a very big expressive eyes and and face and and just so much humanity and goodness yeah like you said probably seven minutes of screen time and and totally endeared himself to me solid 
Guys, we've got to follow orders. Come on! I don't know. I think it went rather well. Quit joking around. Can we please stop arguing? Can you stop being droid bait out there? You're getting in my way. Actually, our way. Actually, here's another naming of a clone, and this time it's droid bait. That's tough. Slightly less abusive than stink or... Here comes stitches. <laughs> You're getting in my way. Actually, our way. Well, you want to be the best? Then you got to think like it. And I'm thinking like an arc trooper. Arc troopers follow orders. Care to repeat that, Echo? Come on, get him, I don't recall what order Echo thinks they need to be following. Maybe it's the initial order of do this and do it well. I think it's worthy naming some movies at this point. It's not just the high school imagery here. It's actually also the boot camp imagery. Totally. Here. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's full metal jacket. There is some, we're going to fight a war, and you need to be strong or else we're all going to get killed. That creates for drama and tension and conflict in stories. There's real stakes here if you don't if you don't get up and have what it takes. Yeah, it's not just the one character that goes down if you have a character that that is like that. It's everybody. You're going to bring the whole team down. And of course, that opens up that very large door for abuse and you know you have private pile scenes where mm-hmm. you have abused some of your your fellow warriors so much that they snap. Oh, yeah. From now on, you're Gomer Pyle. Sir, yes, sir. Do you think I'm cute, Private Pyle? Do you think I'm funny? Sir, no, sir. Then wipe that disgusting grin off your face. Sir, yes, sir. But there's, sir. I mean, just great pre-war training films. Glory is a Denzel Washington won an Academy Award for one of those movies uh, as a as a, sol- a Civil War soldier. Um, Stripes is that sort of movie. Kind of spin the humorous side of this. Um, Top Gun is that movie. And to mention Steve Martin again, there's a film called Sergeant Bilko. Mm. This group, I think it might be like a group of five guys, just like this. Five kind of losers that aren't fit to be soldiers that have to rally to be trained and turned into soldiers. And no one thinks they can do it. Yeah. Lots of the same beats here. Mm-hmm. Didn't get the football coach movie, but we got Steve Martin as a uh, drill sergeant. Not really whipping him into shape. That's uh, Phil Hartman's. Phil Hartman comes in and he is the heavy that screams at everybody. Mm. It's It's a... Pretty good movie. I, I would. It's Phil Hartman, Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd. Come on. It's worth a watch. I haven't watched it for a while, but I really like Biloxi Blues. It's written by uh, Neil Simon, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a great little movie. Mm-hmm. Same story, though. Going off to World War II. World War II, there's a different... I don't know what the difference is between the World War II boot camp movie and the Vietnam boot camp movie, but there's a darker tone frequently with those Vietnam ones. It, feel, you know? it feels like... <clears throat> I would like to begin what I'm saying by saying <laughs> I am not an expert on either of these wars, on American history. I, I don't know enough to really speak with authority in this. I do watch a lot of movies, so I feel like tonally I will speak to this and say it feels like with World War Two, it was pretty easy to find a united villain, something to fight against. So it feels like, yeah, yeah we're going to get this done. And like, it's Hitler and the Axis powers and team up and build like us and our friends are going to go kick some fascist ass. Whereas yep. Vietnam was this whole confusing, weird mm. thing. Maybe we didn't actually really need to be in it. And, and yep. people like, politicians were lying and it was sort of like well we don't want to look like idiots and hard to 
really def- like the bad guy is communism, which doesn't make as good of a villain as Nazi. Like it, it was such a weird thing. It feels like the movies reflect that. The draft is required for Vietnam, whereas World War Two, no. Yeah, it's people signing up to to fight Nazis as opposed to not wanting to go kill people in the jungle. We have this domino theory, and that's why you're fighting. Isn't quite as inspiring as Hitler's trying to take over the world. Totally. It's a, it's a, it just feels different. Yeah. Totally. Well, fight breaks out, and the other, all the clones are yelling, and then Brick comes in. Come Coach steps into the room. Cut it out! If you two would focus on fighting droids as much as you do fighting each other, you might stand a chance out there. Thanks, football coach. I'm going to say, arguably being more divisive than anything that they were doing by the way he treats them. But, whatever. Echo immediately stands to and says, Sorry, Master Chief. Well, Master Chief. Maybe our problems come from our training. I'd rather be taught by a Jedi than some mercenary bounty hunter. Jedi don't have the time to train grunts like you. That's why they hired me. Which that feels like one of those accidental (laughs) self-burns. Right. (laughs) You know who's got plenty of time and doesn't matter? Me. My life is empty. So here I am. (laughs) People of quality won't take this job. But I did. Right. Rick says, listen, boys, when you were assigned to me, I had high hopes for you. Now we're approaching the end of your training and you haven't advanced nearly enough. Even this bad bachelor 99 has more sense than you guys do. And he's a maintenance clone. Awful. Just awful. Condescending. I will say as somebody who was a janitor in a school for seven years, this is not that far off from how you actually get treated if you are a janitor. There is very much like you will hear somebody flippantly be like, I'll bet even the janitor can figure this out. It's like, yeah, I can probably figure out second grade math. I'm an adult. Daniel memorizes Shakespeare, mother. I, <laughs> yeah, for God's sakes. It's like I remember hearing something like that once, literally in the middle of my best friend and I writing a comedy review of a hundred of the greatest works of Western literature. <laughs> you, you don't give him enough credit. You're all a waste of my time. 99 is not defensive of self. He's actually defensive of these clones. I almost wonder if 99 is defensive of them because they are the thing he wants and doesn't have. Yeah. Take it away from even him being able to be a soldier and being able to compete. He does not have the community and the brotherhood that these guys have, and he's clearly desperate for that. Yep. That's a good call. You're going to hang around the people you want to like you, and you're going to be quick to support them and feel what they feel and champion them because it's like, I just really love you guys, and I want you to love me too. I wonder if I hadn't put this together. Brick mentions that 99 is a bad batcher. This is the first time the term is used. Mm-hmm. But in the next scene with Lamasu and Shakti, we're going to see that image of the bad batch in their language. Here would be the question. Is it the case that 99 actually intuits these people are like me? They're just younger. One of the show creators notes that the Domino Squad have differences that actually make them special. One's a little bit more aggressive. One's a little bit more aware of following orders. You know, one is a little bit more self-protective. One's a little bit more funny. They're different than the other clones in that they... 
they are a bad batch. They have these genetic differences that are slightly different. And I wonder if 99 doesn't pick up on that. It's like, oh, here are people who are actually like me. It's the opposite of fascist uniformity. You know, this is what the Avengers is about, or this is what Fellowship of the Ring is about. You know, it's all these very different people coming together and finding that they share, you know, a family despite differences. To continue with our World War II analogy, I mean, that's what the it's what Taika Waititi's film Jojo Rabbit is about. It starts with this young boy wanting to be wanting so badly to be a member of the Hitler Youth, and then slowly realizing that friendship and connection and humanity are what sets them apart. Yeah. And I think to to even continue with our high school analogy, the the Domino Squad or even 99 seem to just so badly want to be like everybody else and stray away from the differences they have, not realizing that like, hey, these like weird quirks are actually what makes you a person. Like it's actually what makes yeah. you really special and makes people drawn to you. If all colors want to be red, you have no artwork. Yeah, you just have one giant Rothko square. <laughs> it's, the, it's the kaleidoscopic nature of humanity that actually creates what's beautiful. We, I think we just solved racism, Jeff. Take that, Hitler. What are we going to do next episode? Speaking of Hitler, <laughs> we, we cut to a discussion between Lamasu and Shakti. Lamasu is introduced in, in episode two. Uh, this is uh, the first time that we see this character in the binge. Lamasu is a very, it's a, a very alien-looking character. Long neck, white outfit, seems highly intelligent, and he is yeah, very, very regal. And he is the overseer of Camino. He's the prime minister of Camino. I understand your concerns, Master Jedi. Ever since the unfortunate death of Jango Fett. We have had to stretch his DNA to produce more clones. A Jedi does not feel concern, Lamasu. However, I have noticed this unit of clones have been... Deficient? My only thought is for you to search the galaxy and find a suitable donor for your future clones. ton of exposition going on in, in that, and as well as creating some conflict. What do you see here? We, you know, we talk about this environment feeling like an Apple store and feeling very cold and clinical, but I feel like the really cold and clinical feel comes from this guy. Yeah. There is no viewing these clones as individuals with identities. They are a batch of things that all go together. They are a product. They are, they are something to be you know just completely done away with if one of them doesn't work. There's no... There's no value of anything happening in this scene. Yep. Yeah, there's something about those who work with other human beings in a scientific way where the humanity of the person in front of you, yeah, can just get thrown out of the way because it gets it's an obstacle yes. to getting my job done. Yeah. I need to not care about you in order to cut you open and remove that thing from your chest. Yeah. I mean, that's at its best. On the, but at its worst, it looks like this. Yeah, it looks like indifference. And what have the clones produced so far? As you know, there is no one way to make a clone. Sometimes our efforts are less than successful. Are you suggesting we just cast off the Domino Squad? They're living beings, not objects. You Jedi show too much compassion. 
Nevertheless, as general in charge of training, the decision on what to do with them would be yours, Master Jedi. That's super interesting to me because the Jedi kind of pride themselves on being this, you know, we don't have emotions, we don't show affection, mm-hmm. we don't show love, we're just sort of flatlined across the board. And it's only the character that truly has no affection or emotion that looks at them and, and says, y'all just care too much. That's what your problem is. <laughs> Might show you where Lama Sue is on the chart. <laughs> yeah. De- emotionally dead. Yes. Either I have said it before or we will go on to say it again, specifically about the character of Shakti, but... She's got these big expressive eyes and you just see the compassion and care when she brings yeah. up the Domino Squad. She she clearly cares about them. Even in discussing them with the bounty hunters up top, she's willing to admit that there's a way to go, but she's not willing to just say, ah, throw this batch in the trash. It doesn't work. After watching this a handful of times, she's lying when she says a Jedi does not feel concern. That's entirely what she feels. She she will yeah. have a maternal impulse in her decision-making. It may be the case that her spirituality is one that's inviting her to put that down. I think she wants to believe that Jedi don't feel that way, but the person to whom she's probably really lying to is herself. Yeah, I feel like all most of the Jedi are actually doing that, with the exception of Yoda. I feel like Yoda is old enough to have made peace with wanting to care about the clones, wanting to make these connections with humans, with nature. I feel like Yoda is the only one who's like, meh, whatever. It's okay. It's one of the big storylines that we will talk about throughout the binge is the introduction of not just compassion, but genuine love into the story. Big time. Because it it is neither part of the Sith tradition nor the Jedi tradition, but it becomes the redeeming power once we get to Return of the Jedi. And becomes so much of the thing that could fix so much of these problems, yes. too. Where it's like, my God, give somebody a damn hug. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you gave him a hug, he wouldn't kill younglings. Right. Like some of those scenes where Anakin is so angry. It's like, just take two steps forward and put your arms around him. That's going to... I think of the most angry I've ever been or the most upset I've ever been. The people who care enough about me know, like, make some kind of physical, like, hug somebody. Like, that that always helps me where it's like, I will completely melt out of whatever up here I'm in if if that happens. It's like, okay, right, right, okay, okay. This is what's important. One of the best lines from the prequels ends up being Obi-Wan screaming at Anakin that he loved it. You were my brother, Anakin! Never told him. I loved you. But it, it, right, and that's the thing. By that point, it's too it's too far away. You cannot say yep. you love somebody when they're complete. Like they're not. They can't hear it by that point because they haven't yeah. heard it. And I think the you're you're not actually going to have balance to anything. The universe, the force, whatever. If it's all stoicism or if it's all anger. The thing that we see here with Shakti, and we're going to see this with Yoda in the next episode, is they see the humanity of the clones, and they're not just expendable characters. They have humanity and distinction and can grow. And value. Lamasu's inability to see that makes him immediately a villain. If you cannot engage that part of your, your heart and your soul then you are a sociopath. Yeah, in the most cold way, in the most indifferent way. Like, it, it, like that's so, in, in the way that, like, 
I think we've we've talked about villains before, and I've brought this up, but in the way that like Nurse Ratchet is a horrible villain in Cuckoo's Nest because she's not driven by some evil malevolent force. Yep. She's following the letter of the law, and she's a bureaucrat, and that sterile coldness of bureaucracy is 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 almost more evil than like a Hannibal Lecter type character. Yep. It's again to push the Nazi image. You can do all sorts of horrendous things as a scientist if you don't care about the humanity of the subject in front of you. Yes. And that is Lamasu. Yeah. He's playing God in a situation where the hundreds of thousands of creatures under his control in Genesis experience pain, experience grief, experience trauma, experience joy. And he didn't care at all. It's like Anthony Hopkins says in Westworld, as as a character who also is playing God, mm-hmm. he says, You can't play God without being acquainted with a devil. That's a good line. Ford. Yeah. It's it's embarrassing for me as a philosopher to talk to TJ about that show and say, What's going on here? And just to have him just just put all the he pulls out the red string and just and you're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I was just in it for the guns and boobs, man. Yeah. So nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> a couple of the footnotes that take place here is, uh, you know, this scene hints at much of the exposition we saw in Attack of the Clones. Jango Fett dying. These clones have all come from him. Nowhere else in the galaxy is doing this kind of work. That's actually going to be important, not just to the Clone Wars, but the the science from Kamino is going to greatly influence the the sequel era. Stuff that they're doing in Mandalorian, uh, which leads to the creation or the rebirth of Palpatine. Yeah, Apparently, the Palpatine in the sequels is a clone. I did not notice this until I was sort of reading on the internet and talking to my brother, who is a Star Wars superfan. He was the one who pointed out, oh, you know the guy, the sort of Weasley dude with the glasses and the beard in, in Mandalorian, He's his clothing yep. is from Kamino. Dr. Pershing. Yeah, and you go back and you go back and look at it in like a freeze frame and you go, "Oh my god." Let's talk about Camino actually for for a minute. Camino is a is a beautiful world. This is one of the locations much of the Clone Wars is going to reference. This is the home of the clones. Even though it's kind of a nefarious place on 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 one side. It's the sterile apple cloud city Palpatine has put this in motion space. But then on the other side, this is the home, the beloved home of millions of good people. With anything, right? There are places in the world that are deemed treacherous and dangerous, but there's hundreds, millions of just regular, kind, good human beings that for them, it's not the most dangerous place in the world. For them, it's, this is my neighborhood. So Camino is a, well, it's a water planet. It's, it's actually not in the galaxy. It is extra galactic. <laughs> this is a fun little detail. It's one of those, this makes it even more shady. The Republic oversees the galaxy. We found a planet that doesn't actually exist in the galaxy <laughs> <laughs> to create a secret army to fight our wars for yeah. us. I mean, it's it very clearly the way the, the planet itself and even the way the, the uh, facade of those buildings are shaped and created you're not supposed to really know where that is. You're not even really supposed to be in there unless you really need to. Like, it's, everything is wet. Everything is sort of 
dome shaped. Like you're not going to easily get in there. It's not inviting. Matrix influence is the only other note I have is mm -hmm. the machines that we see in the Matrix that are producing human beings. It's, it's as though they gave that technology to Apple and said, hey, go to town. But can you make it look better? <laughs> well, Brick comes in and he says, Gentlemen, who wants to be an ARC trooper? What is that? You have to pass your final test first. I want you to meet Commander Colt of the Rancor Battalion. Awesome name for a battalion. That's true. Like, you're meant to be ferocious if that's the case. Miss that. Fun fact about Commander Colt, I think he's the only person who gets to uh, kiss Asajj Ventress. What an honor. Future episodes. <laughs> Lots of George C. Scott's patent coming out in uh, yeah. how Colt addresses the crew. He might as well have that big old American flag with a rancor on it. <laughs> I want you to remember that no bastard ever won war by dying for his country. You want it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. Fun fact, patent written by George Lucas's good friend Francis Ford Coppola. That's good. But of course, this is the high school football coach. Get prepared for greatness wartime speech. Yeah. I want you troopers to remember, we're shoulder to shoulder on those front lines. Brothers! And sometimes we may quarrel, but no matter what, we are united. Rule one, we fight together. So who's ready to step up first? Let's start with the unit that ran the practice test in record time. Our trooper time. Think he means us, boys? Bravo unit, step up. Cut up says, Well, bravo for bravo squad. Show an our trooper how it's done. And then Echo. Come on, boys. Maybe we can learn something. Shut up, Echo. <laughs> Echo just getting... Echo's gonna move out of his awkward teenager stage by the end of this arc. He, and he's got to, because right now he's got such a, like, Dorothy Ann from the magic school bus of constantly reminding everybody there's work to be done and how, you know, well, at my old school we used to do this. It's like, no one gives a crap. Start the Citadel Challenge. Version THX, variable 1138. That's some Nickelodeon fan service right there. What? It's a George Lucas reference. Oh, yes. Okay. You, you said Nickelodeon, and that's what threw me off. I was like, I don't remember any green slime falling all over anyone in this episode. <laughs> yes, THX. Yeah. Clones on the floor are, are instructing each other, and Heavy's watching, and he says, We're better than these guys. And we're watching Bravo Squad do the challenge. They scale the wall with the ascension cables. They climb up. We see how this is supposed to go. He's gonna make it. The the flag turns from lightsaber red to lightsaber green, which I think is a good effect in this gray environment. Mm -hmm. And Colt says, "I'm impressed. You trained him well. Who's next? The Domino Squad. Huh? And how are they?" Of course, we're we're fixing to find out. Heavy gives a little rah rah. We can do this, guys. All we have to do is follow orders. Of course, Echo just keeps repeating the same thing. 
Bravo Squad is coming off the playing field and they say, Check it out, guys. Time to watch the dominoes fall. And you know, whatever whatever member of the Bravo Squad saying that, like, they'd thought of that a couple of days beforehand. <laughs> like, man, I can't wait to say my awesome, because they're the Domino Squad and you know dominoes fall. Boom. I'm going to say that and they're going to look stupid. Bravo, class comedian. Yeah. yeah. Droid Bait says, They are so much better than us. Knock it off. Begin the program. Let's not take it easy on them. They're getting farther than normal. Maybe so, but they're sloppy. This is nothing. Give them their next set of orders and watch the chaos ensue. I'm telling you, these guys just aren't ready. I'll play clip. You play fright. Take it easy. I'm on your side. Get it? Your side? Huh? This is not a good joke. Not his best one. Pretty unorthodox. One of the clones then gets injured. Join me! Behind you! And there's confusion. Man down! Forget him! I'm breaking for the Citadel! The team begins to split up. Hurry! Guys, I think he's injured! Leave him! Come on! There's signs of dysfunction. We are gonna pass this time. And then the whole system shuts down. Okay, I spoke too soon. And then Colt comes out to talk to the boys. That would be putting it mildly. Broke formation, disobeyed orders, and you left a man behind. You broke rule number one. You talked about Fight Club. I'm sorry, Domino Squad. This is an automatic failure. It goes back to the proverb at the beginning of the episode about brotherhood. Yep, that's what that is. The leaving a man behind trope is another one that we see in film. There'll be a big part of Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't know if you got a chance to see Hacksaw Ridge. I did not. Wonderful movie about a pacifist soldier who makes it his calling, his duty to go into the battlefield and grab wounded men. Oh, wow. And carrying, carry them back because he, he's pacifist and he won't fire a weapon. And they think he's useless. And the story ends with him getting the Congressional Medal of Honor. Oh, nice. Okay. I'll have to check that out. That's Because that's Andrew Garfield, isn't it? Yeah. He's 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 a talented guy. Leaving no man behind shows a ethical understanding that I think is real high level. Yes, I agree. Because it goes against all of our impulses. You know, you're in the battle, somebody gets wounded and left. You all of a sudden are forced to make the decision: do I do I move forward it for the sake of myself, or do I possibly lose my life to care for somebody who's already down? You have to have real strong. Uh, moral principle to to elevate that, but that's clearly what the clones believe. Oh, absolutely. In a world that sets itself up as being devoid of compassion, yeah, we're seeing the captain of the Rancor Battalion. It's called the Rancor Battalion, and even he <laughs> is like, give a crap about each other, please. <laughs> so true. But when I when I googled uh, "leave no man behind," the first thing that came up was the Army Ranger Creed. And I wanted to read this to you because this describes the heart of the clones better than anything I think I've seen. It says, I accept the fact that as a ranger, my country expects me to move further, faster, and fight harder than any other soldier. Never shall I fail my comrades. Gallantly, 
will I show the world that I am a specially selected and well-trained soldier. Energetically will I meet the enemies of my country. I shall defeat them on the field of battle, for I am better trained and will fight with all my might. Surrender is not a ranger word. And it ends with, I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy, and under no circumstances will I ever embarrass my country. I thought that captured the heart the heart of the clones really well. Entirely, yes. I feel like we could spend like 45 minutes unpacking all of that. Yeah. Like just that writing. It's just like, oh, God, like so many thoughts. This isn't a spoiler, but just to put a pin in it, the idea of a clone being left in enemy hands is something that will be part of the the binge and an important part of some of the storylines here. So just to put a pin on that, I love that they introduce it here. This is part of the ethic and it's just, it's it'll be important mm-hmm. to not only the Clone Wars, but to all the stuff that they're going to be creating in the future with, uh, with the Bad Batch. So let the reader understand. I told you this was gonna happen. We've wasted enough time on those losers. Their failure is our failure. And Ellis with some personal responsibility here. I've made a request to General Shakti that the Domino Squad be allowed to repeat the final test. Why do you care about them? Why don't you? I care about getting paid. It's a shame the bounty hunter in you sees this only as a job. More like an impossible task. These cadets will be the finest troopers we've trained. I have faith in them. Faith? Oh, you can't be serious, Alice. We should treat them as a special challenge, Brick. We should treat them as failures. Besides, I've already requested that they be moved to cleanup and maintenance. That's all they're going to be good for. Then I guess the General has a decision to make. Earlier we talked when we talked about bounty hunters and, and the term bounty being described as goodness. That's what's being chased after. I see both definitions of what that word could be coming from both these guys Mm. from brick it is exclusively the goodness of the financial reward it is we're only here because it is our job whereas ellis it is it is the goodness of believing the best about other people about helping people achieve their highest potential yeah goodness in the in the most human sense of that word both of those things are happening at once and it doesn't he doesn't feel like a bounty hunter at least not the ones that we're used to seeing in this universe yeah, it's not only helping others achieve their p- potential, but he seems to want to achieve his own potential. Ooh. That last line of we should treat them as a special challenge is entirely about him. It is. It's a challenge to Brick to be a better person. But there is a lot of high school guidance counselor perhaps coming out here. Or like, yeah, the, the like really emphatic like English teacher versus the, yes. the high school coach. You can tell which relationships with teachers I had that were uh, more healthy right. in high school based off of <laughs> just even the tone of voice with how I said those two words. Cups and five enter a space where Shakti is working. General, may we have a word? You are here to discuss your squad, aren't you? How did you uh, Jedi, mate? One doesn't need to be a Jedi to feel the stress on your mind. General, we would like to request a transfer to another squad. A Bravo squad, perhaps. I am a Jedi, where the individual and the group are one and the same. Much like you clones. Uh, which is why, 
Fives and I are looking out for each other. As individuals, but not as a group. You are where you need to be. Solve your problems as a whole, not as individuals. I have decided to allow you and the rest of your squad to take the test again tomorrow. She's saying, in this philosophy or religion that I buy into, the group and the individual are one and the same. Yet she's thinking about this group of, of guys as, as individuals separate from the bigger group, the bigger armies of mm -hmm. clones. She is going out of her way to, to separate these guys from everybody else and say, you deserve a chance because you are special. Because she mm. cares about them. Yeah, again, well, I imagine it'll just keep coming up. The Jedi aren't using that one bit of power that's just readily available. You should care about each other. Give somebody a hug. <laughs> it's all principle then. In the Force, we're all one, and therefore we should act as one in order to gain the thing that we want, which is peace. Man, that's not motivating. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of discouraging, actually. It's the Borg, right? I mean, mm. it, we we talked about it earlier. It, it, the Borg is a mini, yeah. is many things acting as one with one collective goal. But there's no, there's no. That's exactly right. There's no value or 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 soul to it. It just yeah. wants to achieve uniformity, not yeah. nothing, nothing beautiful or worthwhile. It's yeah. It's a it's peace through assimilation. Yeah, we're more powerful than you. Resistance is futile. So don't struggle. Just check your humanity. Succumb. Yeah. You want to talk about Shock T for a minute? Uh, yes. This character is amazing. We have Daniel and I have talked about this offline, but she is a Togruta like Ahsoka. She is one of the few Jedi Masters and part of the High Council. Her headdress is made of uh, these gold teeth, it looks like. These are from an Akul, which is a Star Wars bear. It's like she has killed something in her development, I assume, as a young person, and this now marks her headdress. Well, it's like a hero's journey thing, too. You, yeah. To prove yourself, you go out into the forest and you kill the lion, you kill the bear, and then, and then prove to yourself and everybody watching that you're a badass, which she clearly is. For me, Shakti's one of those characters, I don't like her look on film. No. But when she is animated she looks incredible uh as a warrior and as a conveyor of information she just i feel like she has a very quiet charisma where she is just a weighty character anytime she enters the room and it's much like i said with the character of 99 i feel like so much of it is done through the emoting of the character in in her eyes she just has these big expressive kind eyes the artists are, are doing a lot of work with her eyes, and I assume that's by design. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that in with Brick. Nor any of the other Jedi we've really seen. You know, it's it's not really in there with... Yeah. with maybe Yoda's eyes are very expressive, but I don't see the kindness in them that I see with even hers. Yeah, that's good. Like, the source of goodness in her comes from her eyes. To completely. We're going to see a, an episode soon with Plo Koon, who you can't see his eyes. But he's clearly a very good person, and his his goodness is expressed in a different way. Yeah, through it's uh, his voice matters. He's got a very deep baritone voice, and and it it creates a warmth. Mm -hmm. Her warmth is 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 created by her. 
yeah, by her eyes. One of the last episodes that we're going to focus on in the Clone Wars is going to be a Fives Shakti-focused episode. And so just to put a pin in this, this this relationship matters Yeah, as things move you know, toward the end. Last little fact about this character is, like all the Jedi, like most of the Jedi, she's going to be killed in uh, Order 66. They actually had her death in the original Episode 3, um, but but it was cut. And because of that, there's, there's like a handful of places where she's been killed. She then is killed in a Legends comic, and it's a beautiful death scene. But then the Legends comic got cut. Out, it's no longer right. canon. So she died in these two, <laughs> there's these two episodes where she's been killed off. And so the only death that we see is actually in the Clone Wars. Yoda is going to have a vision. His vision of her is Shakti at the Jedi Temple, and she has a lightsaber thrust through her back, and it's a blue lightsaber. Mm. And so we know from that that she's a one of the Jedi that's that's actually killed by Anakin when he enters the temple. So I think that framework is important. Yeah. And it allows us to see who, I, I, for whatever reason, I have way more sympathy for her and her perspective knowing that. She ends up dying defending kids. And that shows a lot of who, who she actually is. Yeah. And again, it's that. It's antithetical to everything that the Jedi say they are, that her last moments are spent defending the defenseless. Mm -hmm. That's clearly some deep love and compassion for the life of other human beings. Yep. We'll probably say this when we talk about Ahsoka, but Shakti obviously has mantras like the other Togrudas do. These function kind of like cat whiskers. They are a sensory organ. They are more of a radar so they, they are able to perceive things in the distance. For Force users, they become enhanced. So it's almost like you could imagine like Spidey sense. And also much like cats, if you put a little bit of tape on the end of the mandrels, they just walk around all kinds of stupid. It's hilarious. <laughs> Scared of cucumbers. And... We're going to cut to two scenes that I think are the depthier scenes. And I want to say these are father scenes. None of the clones have fathers. But these strike me as very paternal scenes, and it's of a good father and a bad father, and the first one is of the bad father. Cut Up comes out onto kind of a porch in Camino. It's rainy, it's dark. You want to see me, sir? Brick says, Near as I can tell, you're the reason your squad's a failure. Ah, well, I'll take that as a compliment. Now, we know why this guy's nickname is Cut Up, because he's, he's, you know, he's cutting up. So what else do you say to your dad when... The reason that everyone else is failing is because of you cuz you're worthless and and don't have what it takes. I mean that's what's going on here. Oh yeah, there's How do you respond to this? <laughs> I mean, there are ways you could respond to it that don't fit in a children's show, but yeah. Right. It's all a big joke to you, right? Like those little nicknames you and your clone brothers give each other. <laughs> uh, I could take one for you right now, sir. Oh, funny. But I think it's all just a cover. You hate me, don't you? Oh, no. No, no, no. How could I hate you for doing your job? You're just pushing me, sir. No. This is me pushing you. Come on, clone. Hit me. Hit me, you joker. Can't take anything seriously, can you? You're a real cut-up, aren't you? <coughs> Come on! 
Thank you, sir. For what? For my name. Cut up. I like the sound of it. Out of my sight, cadet. One way or another, you'll be out of this army. Count on it. What do you see here? Just, I just see a really weak adult. You know, it, uh, that's what it is. If you watched a parent do that to a kid, if you watched a teacher do that to a student, you, you you would feel bad for the child. But I feel like the perspective you would have is just like, what a what a truly pitiable adult. Yeah, that you feel like you need to push somebody with a lower status that, than you to the to the point to the degree that you are. It's it's just it's it's gross. Yeah, it's gross is a good word. It's an insecure human being pulling a weaker kid to the side and trying to get him to fight. It's just abusive. At a Right. What are you getting out of that? Like what, you push around somebody you think is weak? What, what, what does that do for you? Yeah. And nobody's even watching. Yeah, what value is there? <laughs> this is where less of the high school, uh, some people may have high school experiences of this, or, but this this feels to me more like the boot camp the unhealthy boot camp. And I see a lot of full metal jacket here. The use of the word Joker here is, I think is important. Joker is one of the characters in full metal jacket uh, alongside snowball and private pile. Mm -hmm. The real interesting thing I think about the nicknames in those situations in full metal jacket, nicknames are used to strip away your past and everything that you had coming in. You're no longer Joe Smith. Now you're snowball. And I'm going to strip all that down and rebuild you in the military. But that's not what happens with the clones. The clone nicknames are actually a humanizing move. And that's actually why Brick doesn't like them. It's, a, it's those little nicknames you give each other. Well, no, the nicknames are how we actually find power and strength and identity and find our radar for our place in the world. It feels foundational. Mm. Those get laid. Those nicknames get assigned, and upon that, everything else about their identities start to really get built. Again, just a Star Wars reference. That's what happens with Finn: is moving out of the "here's my number" to "here's my name." Absolutely. The only other place that we really see that, aside from their their personalities and their own self understanding, is going to be their armor. Mm -hmm. Is it not the case that this is the only father figure this clone really has? And it's an abusive, condescending, name-calling father figure who is disparaging his success. Yeah, it is completely. In fact, he's making the making it all about him. All, all the these negative attributes. And then we cut to a different father figure, and this is uh, we were in the locker room, and Heavy is packing up his stuff, and he's leaving. And then Ninety Nine comes in. Heavy, going somewhere? Get out of here. You're going AWOL, aren't you? Just go back to sleep, 99. This doesn't concern you. The image of deserters is one that we will look at later, but it, it, it there, there ends up being some more layering, more texture with the clones. They're not just warriors. They do have volition and choices that can be made to stay, to fight, why they fight, etc. And here's an obvious image of boot camp is you might go AWOL. Mm -hmm. That would be absent without leave. 99 pushes into the family. But you can't do this to your squad. My squad? We're nothing but a bad batch. Failures. Like you. 
got toxic stuff going on inside of himself, and it is spilling out in this conversation. The thing I like about that scene is that he knows after he says this horrible thing to this character who does not deserve it, you you see that ownership and shame kind of hit him, like where you know, like yeah. if you fight with a brother or you fight with a friend and they call you on the floor for something and you respond with something like that, you know, the minute you say it, you know. Yeah. But there's not really an apology, which also feels like real life. It's that thing of like, I know I was just awful to you and you know, but we're not really going to address it. Hopefully we'll just do better. That's family, right? Like. <laughs> That is, and it also shows you why 99 is so much stronger than these other characters. The apology is never said partially because he's such an authority or so many steps further ahead, as it were. Yeah. And then 99 brings the hammer, though, as opposed to Brick, who doesn't know how to engage. 99 says, Yeah, but how can I be a failure when... I, I never even got my chance. It's a chance you're throwing away. You're always trying to be the anchor, Heavy. You, you know, do it on your own. Well, maybe you should embrace the fact that you have a team. See, I, I never had that. But you need them. And they need you. I'll carry such a heavy burden on your own. When you have your brothers at your side, Heavy... Heavy? Would you stop calling me that? Or just numbers, 99? Just numbers? Not to me. To me, you've always had a name. It's the money line of the episode. And it's again identity versus uniformity. You're not numbers. You're not easily categorized. You have individualities and uh, real individual worth and it's somebody saying for for these characters who for all of their lives short as they might be are only hearing you're expendable you don't matter to to have somebody speak up and say look you've always mattered to me it's just such an emotional moment to me while watching it where it's it's somebody saying like hey even though for forever everybody's told you that you don't matter for forever i've thought you have yeah one of those, like, chasing validation from the wrong people. <laughs> Not to me, you have always had a name is big. It's not just the value that 99 is giving to others. But clearly, there's one clone in this episode that doesn't have a name. And it's 99, who's still a number. Right. So healthy. They have transcended their need and are able to, to give humanity to others even when it's not reciprocated. It's one of those, I want to say it's like a, the scarlet letter kind of thing. It's, it changes from being an A that's about adultery to it's the A that's about being able or mm-hmm. however that gets spun in the, in the story. But 99 isn't a number by the end. 99 is an actual name of a human soul. Ooh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. I like that. I never had that. Is a, there's a, the deep longing here I think is worthwhile. I didn't get my chance. I never had a team. That's important. And that's showing motive that needs to be 
understood to get into the heart of this character. I think it's also saying nobody believed in me. Yeah. You know, he didn't get the chance, not only just on paper, he never got the chance, but he never got the chance because nobody believed in him. He didn't have a Shakti. He didn't have any of these characters who were willing to say, I believe in this guy. But he still turned out good. Filoni points out that 99 has a series of physical limitations, but his mental acuity is very high. His emotional intelligence is high, and he can see the potential in these clones over and above the thousands that he's seen before. Just creates that great, gentle leader. Tops in terms of just his leadership skills and abilities. Cut to the locker room. Hey, what's CT-782? And Echo says, where is (laughs) CT-782? We just said that. Oh, right, your name is Echo. Solid joke. (laughs) If he is not here... We will fail. Not today, brothers. Today, we pass. And one more thing. The name's Heavy. Identity. This is the first time that all of Domino Squad has a name. So we got Echo cut up Heavy Droid Bait and Fives. The, the Avengers have assembled. Orders came in clear, mates. Nothing to repeat, Echo. Not today. <laughs> How's that shoulder tree? Droid bait, who had been left on the field to die. <laughs> I'll live. We all know what we have to do. And it seems like in this move is that they're kind of going up this elevator uh, back up to the the battlefield. Everyone has apparently learned their previous lesson and the bonding that's taking place around those lessons. Yeah, it's a good little scene. It's the finally coming together, finally being a brotherhood. That's it, boys. Stay together. Which has been his lesson, not to do it by himself. Fives, on your left. Thanks, cut up. No problem, brother. They seem to be working together. Still early. A lot can change. And the music is swelling, and they're moving forward. Keep it up. We're doing great. We might actually pass. Not so fast! Still got the Citadel! So there's no arguing on the battlefield. Check. Not doing it by themselves. Check. One last thing they need to do. They need to be able to adapt, apparently. Yep. And that will be the challenge. It's real straightforward. The This episode sets up so many things real well, and then it's just like, okay. And then it just plays them all out with the action. Yep. At the wall, fives. <sighs> all right. Prep the ascension cables. Let's scale this thing. Wait a minute. Where are the cables? They're not on our belts. Just when things seemed easy. Well, we can't scale the face without them. We'll fail the test if we can't finish. What's going on? Where's the ascension cables? Oh, must have gotten lost. What did you do? I thought you had faith they'd be the best, right? Well, the best pass. No matter what. General, you have to stop this. This is unfair to the cadets. Adversity in war is a constant, Dallas. One of the coaches has sabotaged things with the student, and Shakti says adversity in war is a constant, Ellis. Ellis says there's a moral failure here. Brick is cheated, and Shakti says... The enemy won't play fair either. She's acknowledging that the this bounty hunter is, is, is like an enemy, mm. understands that there's enemies, and allows the movement to go forward. Their their first real enemy to overcome is the teacher that doesn't believe in them. <laughs> yes. Isn't that a story, though? You know? 
Totally. I mean, I imagine most of us could say, you know, when you say what, what's the first obstacle, it might be that older sibling or parent or mentor figure that you had to, that shaped a lot of yourself you had to overcome, or maybe you're still trying to overcome. Shakti, very concerned with adaptability, is going to watch. Cut back down to the floor. So this is it. No, not exactly. Those guns up to We can use them as a step to the next level. Form a chain and use each other to scale this face. Use the guns? Are you crazy? Trust me, I know weapons. I'm going to draw their fire. You guys blast them. Again, not arguing, working as a team, adapting on the fly. Heavy is the clear leader of this team, which I think becomes important as this arc unfolds. And then there's just, there's stellar music going on this whole time as, as the movement goes forward. And then Brick watching says, Well, I'll be uh, creative little clones, aren't they? No unit has shown such ingenuity. So again, it's a backhanded compliment. Those little clones. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's still dismissive. Even the even the jerk has to admit, ah oh, right. They scale the wall, using the cannons of the enemies. They reach the top and capture the flag, and then they are all cheering, we did it. That's the that's been the payoff. It's yeah. the obvious finish line that they've been trying to cross, right? And it's the, they have tried so hard to fit in and be like all of the other clones. To go with the high school image, you're trying so hard to fit in with everybody else at the expense of all the things about you and your friends that make you unique and special. And it's not until you embrace those unique special things that mm. you that you succeed and pull off the task because those weird things that are unique to you will come in handy. That's it. Shakti says to the enemy, is this, you know, a compliment that's deserved or is she sticking the knife in? Brick, your actions have brought out the best in these cadets. Looks like they were well-trained. Perhaps the finest soldiers I've ever seen. Oh, it totally feels like a flipping him the bird. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know what you did and it was wrong. And even in the face of that, they still did it. Good job. Good thinking. <laughs> well, maybe you were right, Alice. To verb that, to shame. Coming from Shakti, that's that's got like some extra weight too. Oh yeah, you get shamed by Shakti, you're gonna feel that. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna sting. Cut to the barracks. Alice says, "Congratulations, you've graduated. At ease. Next stop, Arctrum. Fives. Yeah, how about we face some combat first? And then it pans back to Heavy in 99. And Heavy looks at 99 and he says, You were right, you know, about everything. Oh, I heard you were quite the leader out there. No leaders. We are a team. All of us, 99. And again, that was the thing that 99 said he never had. Yeah, he's never been part of a team. 99 says, The army's lucky to have a clone like you, Heavy. And Heavy says, Not as lucky as I am to have a brother like you. Well, this is goodbye, I guess. Heavy ships out, and 99 stays here. Eh, we'll see each other again. I mean, how else am I supposed to get this back from you? And he hands him a medal. The medal that he just received. And this is deeply meaningful to 99. I don't know if he's gotten a gift before. It's certainly an image of inclusion. And Heavy says, You deserve it. 
you're one of us. What do you see there? Just such a nice final moment for both of those guys. Mm-hmm. 99 is proven right. He cares so much about other people. He doesn't say, yes, I was. See, you should have listened to me. It's, it's you were right. And he immediately says, I heard you did a really good job. Yeah. Because that's the thing he wanted this guy to realize from the first place, that he had something special. He could be a leader. And then almost that sadness it's being the younger classmen and having all of your friends be seniors and you know like all right you've done all the awesome things and now you're going to go and now I'm going to be here by myself and there's that sort of mm-hmm. melancholy bittersweetness that hits in but then it's heavy realizing that family is brotherhood is the most important thing it's saying don't worry you're still part of this which is lovely yeah not only what 99 needs but has clearly earned and there's nothing wrong with the satisfaction and pleasure of actually gaining something from your students. Nayanai is clearly that wise old man character and yet finds deep gratitude and joy in this element of the growth of his students, as it were. Absolutely. And I realize they keep calling each other brothers, rightly so, but but there's that. He, yeah, uh, he, he is above them. Even if he wouldn't admit it, maybe they wouldn't. There is an emotional understanding that puts him above the domino squad. Yeah. Lots of new hope imagery here at the end. The medal is obviously a big one. Just as Luke and Han get the medal. But not Chewie. We will talk about this in future episodes. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and there's the ceremonial side. There's The graduation feels a whole lot like the medal ceremony in New Hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shakti is speaking over them and she says, Today is your graduation. From here you ship out to fight against the Separatists and restore peace to the Republic. Congratulations. You are no longer cadets. You are troopers. May the force be with you. And Colt steps forward. Attack! Shot! Helmet! Fire! Beautiful last shot of the clones in formation. They move forward. Roll credits. Perfect. Any last thoughts on this? No, it's 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 a perfect end because it's you know all of all of the ways this episode discusses brotherhood get achieved both on the emotional and personal level, and then it's everybody puts on the helmets all together and now they are officially the brotherhood of soldiers and it, it just it, yeah. it it's, a, it's such a good ending. It's an image that they use routinely when showing the clones in YouTube's. It's just artwork that is routinely brought brought forward for this animation series is the clones moving out here. Yeah. It's just really well done. Yeah. That's what we got. We did it. You want to hear what's next? I would love to. This episode is, again, part one of the three-part arc on the Domino Squad. We're going to hit the second episode, Rookies, soon, but the real payoff of this episode is going to come at the end of the arc in the episode called Arc Troopers, which for me is a top ten episode. I just love how this whole arc plays out, but it really pays off well. Again, we're going to extend this arc by putting two one-offs in between, so we're going to watch Ambush next time, which is a Yoda story, and then uh, then we'll get to Rookies and do another one-off after Rookies. So, any last thoughts on any other things? No. Hey friends, as with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share it with passion with friends who love a galaxy far, far away. You can find the binge list on the Twitter. He's Daniel Mothershed, and I'm Jeff Cook. We don't need that scum. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best I got for the outro today. I'm going to look up some more Star Wars quotes that uh, 
perhaps describe us in the in the current week. Yeah. Not not always, but there you go. Maybe, yeah. maybe this time. But uh, you know why we're gonna do that, Daniel? Because this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. We made it under three hours. We did it. <laughs>